Blog Talk Radio.
joyous, joyful exaltations to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women's Wednesdays. My name is Mariama Tane. Blessings and greetings to all that chose to be here this evening. To all the ones that called in, I appreciate you taking the time to dial the number. And to those that clicked in online via Blog Talk Radio from around the world on the Internet, thank you for choosing to listen tonight. Tonight's theme, what we're discussing, is the sevens in time, sevenfold peace, the seven universal laws, the seven powers, the seven laws of harvest, the seven spirits of God, the significance of seven. So we're going to base this within the praising up. And we're going to praise up this theme tonight, and in doing so, we're going to look at the meaning of the number seven in the Bible. Now, the meanings of the number seven, seven is used 735 times, 54 times in the book of Revelation alone. The number seven is the foundation of God's word. If we include this count, how many times sevenfold? which is used six times, and the seventh, which is used 119 times, our total jumps to 860 references. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection, both physical and spiritual. It derives much of its meaning from being tied directly to God's creation of all things. According to Jewish tradition, The creation of Adam occurred on October 7th, 3761 B.C., or the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar. The word created is used seven times in in describing God's creative work. In Genesis, There are seven days in a week, and God's Sabbath is the seventh day. The Bible as a whole was originally divided into seven major divisions. They are law, prophets, writings or psalms, gospels and acts, the general epistles, the epistles of Paul, and the book of Revelation. The total number of originally inspired books was 49, or 7 times 7, demonstrating the absolute perfection of the Word of God. Appearances of the number 7. There are at least seven men in the Old Testament who are specifically mentioned as a man of God. They are Moses, David, Samuel, Moses is mentioned in Joshua 14.6, David, 2 Chronicles 8.14, Samuel, 1 Samuel 9.6.14, Shemaiah, 1 Kings 12.22, Elijah, 1 Kings 17.18, Elisha, 2 Kings 5.8, Idalia, Jeremiah 35.4. In the books of Hebrews, in the books of Hebrews, written by the Apostle Paul, he uses seven titles to refer to Christ. Seven titles to refer to Christ. Hebrews 1, 2. 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. First title, heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Second title, captain of our Savior, captain of our salvation. Hebrews 2.10, for it became him for whom all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He was called an apostle. Wherefore, in um, Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our, of our profession, Jesus Christ. He was called the author of eternal salvation in Hebrews 5.9. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called the forerunner in Hebrews 6.20. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest for forever after the order of Melchizedek. He was called a high priest in Hebrews 10.21. And having an high priest over the house of God. And the seventh title. The author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those are the seven titles to refer to Christ, written by the Apostle Paul. That last one was Hebrews 12.2. In Matthew in Matthew 13, specifically, Jesus is quoted as given seven parables. Seven psalms are ascribed to David in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches, seven angels to the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpet plagues, seven thunders, and the seven last plagues. The resurrection of the dead takes place at the seventh trumpet, completing salvation for the church. How is the number seven linked with God's annual feast days? There are seven annual holy days, beginning with Passover and ending with the last great day. And the day after the Feast of the Tabernacle ends in the fall. The cycle of the holy days, the cycle, the cycle of the holy days is completed in three festival seasons by the seventh month of the sacred calendar. Passover and unleavened bread, first month, Pentecost, third, and trumpets, atonements, tabernacles, and last great day, the seventh month. Jesus performed seven miracles on God's holy Sabbath day, which ran from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, thus affirming its continued sacredness to God and necessity in the life of the believer. Seven miracles. The first one, Jesus healed the withered hand of a man attending synagogue services in Matthew 12, 9. Two, at Capernaum synagogue, he cast out an unclean spirit that possessed a man, Mark 1, 21. 
Right after the above miracle, Jesus heals Peter's wife's mother of a fever, Mark 1.29. A woman attending synagogue who was made sick by a demon for 18 years is released from her bondage, Luke 13.11. At a Pharisee's house eating a meal with the host and several lawyers, Jesus heals a man with dropsy, Luke 14.2. A man who is disabled and unable to walk is healed at the pool of Bethesda, John 5, 8, and 9. Jesus heals a man born blind at the pool of Siloam, John 9, 14. The seven miracles. So that is why I've been moved to speak about seven. And the overstanding on the law and order of it all. The cycles. There are things that are mutable and immutable. There are things that just are. And if we don't understand the the significance of those mainstays, those biblical consecrated dynamics in which the universe, thereby our world, there ergo our lives, are reflected from and through and with. We have to grab hold of the knowledge. You can't be scared of the knowledge. You got to be ready for the knowledge. It takes time. But you have to listen to your inner voice because that's where the most high resides. Right now, we're going to take a music moment. Then we'll come back with the theme of tonight and break it down even further. This is John 9, Inner Voice. Oh, spending the moment as I think 
my consciousness a treasure that inspires me to keep my peace. For in the stillness is the key to creation of wealth and happiness from positive vibrations. Positive
find your way. Listen to that inner voice. That's the voice of the Most High telling you. And you have to listen to your spiritual voice as well. Your spiritual voice that leads you to higher knowledge. Searching it out, being a seeker. The secret is for the seeker. Overstand. And it's an intimate journey. And open yourself up to the cycles and the revelations that we are on a planet. Part of a much larger sphere of 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 frequencies and laws that govern what's going on and and, and it's been hidden from us. So that we just look, you know, to the television and to other people's renderings of it. So it makes sense to find out for yourself and to make that a tradition within your household with your children, the seeking of knowledge. It's very important to research and to know how to research. The old saying, if you want to keep something hidden from a black man, you put it in a book. You know, our children, the art of reading and comprehending and expounding upon, breaking it down, seeing the contributing factors, that mind work, the mind is a muscle, just like a bicep and a tricep, it's a muscle. It has to be worked out. If you don't use it, you lose it. It gets weak, just like those abs. <laughs> you know, you got to work it out. And so on to the sevens in time. Um, I got interested in this subject for two reasons. One, when I went to the Conscious Media Festival, uh, March 3rd to the 5th in Austin, Texas, and um, Sevan, which is his name, S-E-V-A-N, spoke about his seven universal laws for happiness. And that brought me into the world of seven. And so I wanted to do a three-part series on this because the knowledge of it is so vast and I just really would um, hope that ones would take the bits and pieces of it because it is, it's vast, the bits and pieces that I'm bringing forth and expound upon it and see how to work it out in tangible form in your everyday life. It's possible. You just have to give thought to it. Just giving that thought. Applied with action bring satisfaction, right? So have you ever wondered where the seven spirits of God were? You know, in the book of Revelations, it talks about that. It's And, I'm Revel- and I mentioned it last week in Revelations 3.1, and the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these things says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive but not dead. Okay? The seven spirits of God. Revelation 4, 5. And these numbers are so deep. I'm going to break down the numbers of this. 3, 1, 4, 5. Revelation 4, 5. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Revelation 5, 6. Right, three, four, five, and six. Revelation five, six, and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures 
and in the midst of the elders stood a lamp, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits sent out into all the earth. So from these scriptures, I could see that Jesus had or held these seven spirits, which are the eyes of the Lord, and are represented by the seven lamps, lampstands of fire. This is a concept also spoken of by the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 4, 2, and he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the seven, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Zechariah 4, 6. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by my might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And there's seven spirits. Zechariah 4.10 tells us that these seven lamps are the eyes of the Lord. These seven lamps are the eyes of the Lord. This also agrees with Revelation 3.6, but, but also included in the Revelation passage is a reference to the seven horns. Okay, so the seven spirits, seven is God's number of perfection. The scripture said that Jesus had these seven spirits. This concept of perfection or fullness agrees with John 3, 4. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. The seven eyes, spiritual vision. The seven horns represent spiritual authority, power. Right? Jesus had been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew twenty eight eighteen. Again, the number indicates authority. The seven lamps of fire represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Zechariah tells us that the temple will be built not by might nor by power of men, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So see, this is the seven spirits, you know, and then there are seven facets or manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, right? The spirit of justification, the spirit of sanctification, the spirit of life, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of deliverance, the spirit of prayer. Okay, the spirit of justification, 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. The spirit of sanctification, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and the belief in the truth. 
Sanctification is the process of God's grace by which the believer is separated from sin, purified by life lived in spirit. Galatians 5, 16, 25, and Romans 8, 1 to 14, the fruit of the spirit will begin to manifest as we yield to the process of sanctification. The spirit of life, Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is the spirit of adoption, Romans 8, 15, which makes us the sons of God, Romans 8, 16, 19. We can now live in the resurrection power of Christ where the operation of the gifts of the spirit cause our lives to become supernatural. The spirit will give life to our mortal babies. Healing and strength will come into our bodies of flesh, Romans 8, 11, as well as giving us a glorified body in that day. The spirit of truth, John fourteen seventeen. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. The truth will set us free. The truth will bring revelation, knowledge as we are taught by the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth will reveal Jesus to us, John fifteen twenty six. Vision will be given to lead us into all truth and reveal the kingdom to us. Deception will be removed and the lies destroyed. The spirit of wisdom, Ephesians 1, 17, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May he give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of him. Not only will the spirit give us knowledge of Jesus, but it will give us insight into his mind and what he's doing. First Corinthians 2, 16, 2, 6 to 16. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. That inner voice. The spirit of deliverance, Matthew twelve twenty eight. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are delivered from sin. And by that same spirit, demons are cast out and the powers of darkness are defeated. And the seventh, the spirit of prayer, Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the spirit... Also help in our weaknesses. Also help in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Ephesians 6.18 tells us that all prayer should be done in spirit. These are the seven profound works that the Holy Spirit will do in our lives. If we allow him to do these works in and through us, he will perfect us. We can be perfected. Let it be said, let it be so. And then to get even deeper, to travel farther down in the Emerald Tablets, in the Book of Thoughts, 
where we get the word thought from. It is mentioned in the chapter 7 of sand. In chapter 7 of the Emerald Tablets, um, there's a chapter called The Seven Lords. And I'm going to read a portion of that. Spoke to me again the seven sayings. From far beyond time are we. Come, O man, traveled we beyond from space-time, a from the place of infinity's end, when ye and all of thy brethren were formless. Formed were we from the order of all, not as men are we, though once we too were as men, out of the great void where we formed forth in order by law. For know ye that which is formed truly is formless, having form only to thine eyes. And again unto me spoke the seven, saying, Child of light, O Thoth, art thou free to travel the bright path upward until at last all ones become one, formed after our order, three Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Know ye that these are the numbers of the cycles that we descend from unto man, each having here a duty to fulfill, each having here a force to control. Yet are we one with the soul of our cycle. Yet are we to seeking a goal far beyond man's conception. Infinity extends into a greater than all. There in a time that is yet not a time, all become one with a greater than all. Time and space are moving in circles. Know ye their law, and ye too shall be free. A, free shall ye be to move through the cycles past the guardians that dwell at the door. Overstand, there is law and order to the cycles. Nine. When I read that, that really, that those are the names. And then you overstand, like, the numerology of those numbers. And then you just counterbalance that with the seven spirits of the most high. And then, you know, just have fun with those thoughts. And break it down to yourself. So that was part two. And part three, we're going to go even deeper into the seven. And look at the book of Judges and how it's used there and how it even goes into the way we are formed and born and how the sevens have to do with that. You know, it's it's really, really a wonderful um, symmetry that's found. You know, the way the Spirit of the Most High leaves this trail for us to find him in numbers. 
like the Fibonacci sequence and how that's found in almost all living matter. Numbers. And that's the one thing that they do not deal strong enough in the school system with our children. They make it complicated for a reason. Once you understand the sequential order and the cycles, we can move forward on similar frequencies at a greater level. Once there's a common understanding of the way numbers play and the way we should move and the way the Most High says we should move, the way he planned it so within the, within the perfection of it. You know, so it's, it's really important to read and go deeper. Take that, take that time and look into what is really being said in the Bible and what's controlling and who are the eyes and how are the eyes affecting and what are we reflecting. I'm going to, co- I'm going to come back shortly with the going gnosis. Right now I'm going to play um, Etsia. Job will provide. Just wait. Yeah, I feel do the way. Yeah, I feel do the way. Yeah, I feel do the way. The job will. 
Yes, a hundred million miles between us. <laughs> now we move forward into the go and gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. Let's see what's happening in the world today. So right now, in um, this Trump travel ban has really affected. <clears throat> those ones that are even traveling to do music, those listening that are part of bands or going to all the different reggae festivals that are going on, be sure to have all your paperwork intact for your entry back into the country. Just recently, um, down in Austin, Texas, they had the famous South by Southwest Festival. And the South by Southwest Festival, they have where they um, introduce electronics and film, and they have art and different kinds of um, offerings to the public, and a lot of things premiere there, like Twitter premiered there years ago. And so they also have bands, and they have different bands that play and that are introduced and make it onto the mainstream. So this band... Um, by the name of Soviet Soviet, an Italian band, these are Italians, was booked to play in Seattle and Southern California as well at the South by Southwest Festival. And band members said that they had travel authorizations through the Department of Homeland Security's visa waiver program before they arrived. However, band members said that after learning that the individuals would be charged to attend the band's non-festival shows, officials determined them ineligible to enter the country. Even though the band was just playing promotionally, they weren't being paid. Other people that were being that were playing at this festival was being paid, except for this band coming from 
Italy. And so they had visas and they had authorization, but once they flew in, um, the customs officials said that it's not guarantee of admission to the United States and it does not meet the legal requirements to serve in lieu of a U.S. visa when a visa is required, which does not make sense. And so the band was then individually held and interrogated separately for four hours each. Then they were handcuffed and put in, put in, a, in a jail, a detention center, and then they were flown back to Italy. And they have an American record label that they're signed to. And they had a letter from the record label authorizing everything and a letter from the South by Southwest Festival saying that they're okay to play there and everything was le- was totally legitimate. And they still, still handcuffed them, interrogated them for four hours, then put them in jail and sent them back home and they weren't able to play. And again, with the visas, just recently, and this is really horrible, for years in um, California, they had an African trade summit. And every single African citizen who requested a visa was rejected, according to the organizer of the African Global Economic and Development um, Development Summit. African Global Economic and Development Summit every year, and every single African citizen who requested a visa was rejected. The annual trade summit, it's an annual trade summit, overstand they're trying to cut off the trade. The annual trade summit in California had no African attendees this year after at least 60 people were denied visas, according to the event leaders. The African Global Economic and Development Summit, a three-day conference at the University of Southern California, typically brings delegations from across Africa to meet with business leaders in the U.S. in an effort to foster partnerships. But this year, every single African citizen who requested a visa was rejected, according to organizer Mary Flowers. So on so 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 now some are questioning whether the denials to the Los Angeles event could be tied, of course it is, to the anti-immigration policies of Donald Trump, because it's never happened before, who was pushing forward with the travel ban against six Muslim-majority com- um, countries. But these people did not come from one of those six con- you know, countries. So they said that roughly 60 to 100 people from at least a dozen nations, 60 to 100, this is a big event, a big trade event, where companies in Africa are meeting with, you know, venture capitalists and different distributors here in America to foster economic growth internationally the same way other countries do. Every single one, 60 to 100 people from at least a dozen nations were denied entry to the summit, which went on as planned with a much smaller group last Thursday through Saturday. That's terrible. So the problem for the trade summit marked the latest example of of restricted travel under the Trump ban. This is ridiculous, you know. And it's also affected soccer players. Again, I said musicians, doctors, tech workers. And there's also a big slump in tourism across America since this ban. 
people are scared to come here. So if anyone listening is tied to, you know, that industry, the travel industry, they really need to look into other things because it's going down. And um, in Philadelphia, where they have a very large Mexican community, they're actually going as far as they are canceling their Cinco de Mayo celebration. One of Philadelphia's most prominent Latin American events, El Carnaval del Puebla, has been canceled this year because of what one organizer called the severe conditions affecting the the immigrant community. The annual parade through South Philadelphia has taken place in late April or early May for at least a decade and is the city's largest Cinco de Mayo celebration. Organizer Edgar Ramirez said that as many as 15,000 gather as far as from New England and Chicago. The decision to cancel El Carnival, Ramirez said in an interview on Friday, was sad but responsible in light of the immigration crackdown by federal authorities. You know, I mean, people are thinking that if they go to this festival, they're going to be bum-rushed with, you know, a raid and vans and just the gathering up and taking them fingerprints. Do you have papers? This is now South Africa. Do you have papers? 1985. Do you have papers? So they're canceling their Cinco de Mayo. Pray for the ones that don't have papers. Pray that they're just snatched as they're going to get their children from school or something. Just, you know, let's just send out that love vibration of upliftment and, you know, and so they can think and plan and maneuver properly. And in the schools right now, the elitists are trying to change the way children are taught in the public schools and they're going to try to do it by withholding funds if they're not taught in a specific way see what's happening is that they're seeing a spike i i i really recommend ones to go and get and or just see the video hidden colors four by um tariq nasheed i don't agree with everything he says but that documentary hidden colors four was very very informative And I thought it was very well put together, and it explains a lot of what's happening in our specific community, the black and brown ones, you know. And um, whenever they start to see a spike in the learning potential or the economic potential, you know, they pay attention to that on a chessboard, you know, scale, And so once they see spikes start to happen, they start cutting those, you know, just like the African trade thing, they cutting that off. They're making money, global international enterprises, 60, 100 different African businesses. Look, they have car manufacturers in Africa. They have African-owned car companies. One is called Katanga. Look it up. It looks like a Hyundai Santa Fe. It's really nice. You know, I mean, they're really making it happen over there. So they want to stop that and how it affects, you know, the ones here that are doing business with them. And so now it's affecting the way that the teachers are going to teach. 
So um, these so-called eminent academics from the worlds of neuroscience, education, and um, psychology are voicing concerns over the popularity of the method of teaching children according to their individual learning style. Of course, it's popular because it works. If a child is a hands-on learner, then they learn better by doing it than by reading it. And they'll read it, but they have to physically do it first. You know, and there are some children that have to read the steps and figure that out before they can actually apply the knowledge in a physical standpoint and like a tangible standpoint. So they're saying that um, they don't think that it's achieving results, but they're not giving any kind of statistics. They just have a letter by the professor from Harvard University and a professor of neuropsychology from Oxford and a neuroscientist from London, you know, all these elitist people all signed this letter. And so they sent the letter now, you know, to all the different heads of the schools. And but meanwhile, you know, the actual research shows in 2012 Teachers in the U.K. and Netherlands found that 80% believed individuals learned better when they received information in their preferred learning style. 80% learned better. But we have this letter now, you know, that's being put forth because they come from Oxford and Harvard. And they have concerns and they don't believe in the proof. And then in 2013, research by the Wellcome Trust Foundation found that 70, 76% of the teachers had used learning styles in their teaching. Okay? So they're seeing this in that it's becoming popular with the teachers. So what they're going to do is that they're going after the Educational Endowment Foundation, and they gave this letter to them. So the end of so the Educational Endowment Foundation is an independent grant making charity, the EEF. And so now they're saying that they also have concerns about learning styles approach. Okay, so now the Department of Education declined to provide a formal comment on learning styles, but a spokeswoman said it was up to the teachers to decide what they want to see in their classrooms. Now that's a very funny answer. That sounds very benign, but it's not. Because I know where I live at the teachers in my community um, receive a lot of grants. You know, it's a very competitive community. So in order to be a teacher here, you always read in the paper about some fifth grade teacher that got a grant. It's like, if you don't get a grant within two years of working in our school system, you got to go, which I think is wonderful, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's based on this EEF, the Educational Endowment Foundation grant. So if so, if the teacher is documenting that they're using the, you know, learning styles, not trying to fit a circle in a square, but appreciating the circle for what it is and the square for what it is, then they won't receive funding to their schools. So then they're going to be forced to adhere to that. So look out for that information and how it's, it's affecting the classroom that your child is in. And just be aware of the type of learning style that's being used as well. It's important, you know, to ask these questions when you go to the parent-teacher meeting. And, um, you know, to see 
for yourself. They have a test online. I remember when my son, when my eldest son, he's now 19, when he was about eight or nine, I had heard about learning styles back then. And um, I looked up online and there's a test that you can, you know, a simple test you could do at home and they have it online and um, you can find out your child's individual learning style and that'll help you, you know, and knowing what it is that interests them and how to get, you know, the results you need from them academically. Okay. So we're going to take a music moment and this is NECA Babylon. I can't take that soul to the violin. I can't take that soul to the shed your teeth. I'm gonna make you stand up.
Yes, it's all about who you are. If you're looking for love, be it. If you're looking for peace, be that too. I love that song. Now we're going to move forward into technology. What's happening out in tech and how it's affecting our world. So today, Twitter announced it has suspended more than 500 million Twitter accounts that they deem um, violent extremism on the platform. 500, 500 million. They terminated a total of 376,890 accounts in the last six months of 2016 alone. The company has said this in its latest transparency report. Furthermore, it has started taking legal requests to remove content posted by verified journalists and verified media outlets, but it's not taking any action on the majority of those requests. So the censorship has arrived big time. So be careful what you post on Twitter. It may be deemed violent extremism. And um, now they have, according to NBC News, they have um, remote kill switches that disable cars with missed payments. So if you buy a car from a subprime lender, those are like those mom and pop, no name, used car lots. And even a lot of the um, major car companies like Hyundai has their own financing that's considered subprime because it's not from an actual bank Hyundai doesn't have a bank right or Toyota has their own Toyota financing that's considered subprime so now car buyers who took out subprime loans for their vehicles uh, they're being rigged with a device that can disable the car at any time and at any place with the push of a button and this has been going on a lot in New York and the New York Times reported um, this as well. So the practice was meant to curb late payments and has come under fire as an invasion of privacy. Beyond those concerns, cars have reportedly been disabled in traffic in strange neighborhoods with little to no warning. Okay? So some have complained that being tracked all the time put their safety at risk. The lenders involved say that they're simply taking measures to protect themselves, having offered risky loans to people with poor credit. The Times reported. Some lenders only use a device which can be installed on most cars with electronic ignition systems. So after 30 days of non-payment and attempts to reach the owner, but others will disable the car just days after a missed payment as a reminder. <laughs> as a reminder. Something that the opponents of the devices say amounts to electronic repossession. That's what's happening now, electronic repossession. So some people um, that are being tracked have taken to disabling the device themselves. You know, they're paying people to come and disable the thing. It's an illegal act, but they deem it's necessary. So they can stop your car with a push of a button if you're a couple of days late on your payments. Now they're moving forward with um, getting rid of boarding passes. They want to have fingerprints and biometrics as you travel. So you arrive at the airport with your expertly packed carry-on, stroll past security without showing your ID, and head straight to your gate. 
Once there, you get on the plane without ever pulling out a boarding pass or interacting with a gate agent. This experience may sound far-fetched, but it's closer than you might think, thanks to the growing use of biometrics. Okay, so Vision Box is the company, if you're interested in investing. (laughs) Vision-Box, a provider of biometric-based solutions, recently introduced the seamless gateway technology at the Passenger Terminal Expo. They have a Passenger Terminal Expo, okay? The system uses facial recognition to enable contactless. Again, that goes back to that universal basic income I was talking about. Um, Seamless, contactless movement through airport checkpoints. The -the state-of-the-art e-gates capture facial images on the fly, matching them against an existing database. The verification happens almost instantly, allowing passengers to breeze through checkpoints without stopping to engage with airline or airport officials to show them your driver's license or boarding pass. The seamless gateway would work in in conjunction with agencies like the TSA, so passengers would still have to remove items like their shoes um, and walk through the body scanner. And this heralds a revolution in the dynamic between Passenger airport airlines and border authorities, says Vision Box. So no more boarding passes is coming soon, sooner than you think. And they're going to have fingerprints and biometric scanners as you walk through the airport. And so BuzzFeed has um, reported on this new innovation that's hitting the streets. As of this Thursday, tomorrow, an on-demand delivery company called DoorDash is, um, will be working in their humanless couriers. It's putting a small fleet of six-wheel delivery robots into action for the first time in Redwood City, California. And so the robots, built by a company called Starship Technologies, are about to seize um, the sidewalks. And they'll be used to lug food from restaurants to customers in short-distance orders spanning anywhere from one to two miles. The little delivery boy from the one to two-mile area on his bike delivering. So automation has emerged as a critical issue in the U.S. following following the 2016 election that focused largely on jobs and plans to save them. So you see, that was all, like, you know, these people all fell into this belief that Trump was going to bring back all these companies. But these companies are going to be run on automation because they're making these things like 25000 And you can, you know, you can, you can buy this thing for 25000 to do a job for what a person used to do and not have to worry about benefits or anything. They've made it so cost-effective. You know, and so they're trying to get it ready to do long haul um, deliveries as well, called DoorDash. And so on comes the robotic delivery. On some good note, um, there has been a new way that science has used to help people. According to the new scientist.com, the new scientist.com, artificial lungs in a backpack may free people with lung failure. 
An artificial lung that's small enough to be carried in a backpack has been shown to work in sheep. It's one of several such devices being developed that that could transform the lives of people with lung failure who are currently dependent upon large machines. The new device still requires an oxygen tank to be wheeled around, although tank-free prototypes are also being tested. So people with lung failure are usually connected to a machine that pumps their their blood through a gas exchanger to provide oxygen to remove the carbon dioxide. But this often confines them to a bed. And the longer they are bed reading, the, the weaker their muscles become, and they're less likely to recover. So to avoid this vicious circle, those who are well enough may be able to walk around about the hospital, um, but that's difficult because of the machine. is bulky with lots of long tubes. So they're making this backpack. I mean, so this is um, a great use for technology. People with lung failure, you got to take care of those lungs. And so now back into the robots and the oncoming of them. They now have um, the self-healing graphene. It's a, um, and it holds the promise for artificial skin and future robots. And so it's extraordinarily because it has self-healing property. Self-healing. An extraordinary yet previously undocumented self-healing property of graphene which could lead to the development of flexible sensors that mimic the self-healing properties of human skin. So it's a sheet of pure carbon atoms, and it's currently the world's strongest material. So it's one million times thinner than paper, so thin that it's actually considered two-dimensional. So it has a hefty price, of course. Graphene has quickly become a comer among the most, promise, the most promising nanomaterials due to its unique properties and versatile perspective applications. The largest organ in the human body, skin, has been known for its fascinating self-healing properties, but until now, emulating this phenomenon proved too much of a challenge as man-made material lacked this ability. So due to the unprecedented stretching and bending and incidental scratches, Artificial skin used in robots is extremely susceptible to ruptures and fissures. So the study offers a novel solution where a sub-nano sensor could use graphene to sense a crack as soon as it starts nucleation. And surprisingly, even after the crack has spread a certain distance, this technology could quickly become viable for use in the next generation of electronics. Okay? So... They're observing the self-healing behavior of both pristine and defective single-layer graphene and its application in sub-nano sensors for crack spotting by using molecular dynamic simulation. They are on it. They are on it like a hornet. They're going to give these robots self-healing skin (laughs) so you can't see the scratches from yesterday when somebody figured out it was a robot and grabbed it. Okay, and so now this part right here, this I found disheartening, and we have to pray. We have to pray, like, you know, like Wyndham said um, a couple of months ago online, how, you know, the old timers used to, like, read the news, and then they'd pray up the frequency, right, to, like, burn fire on the nonsense that, like, these politicians and these people 
of so-called science are doing around the world. So I want to burn fire. I want a frequency of that up on this blog talk radio this evening and what I'm about to say, because it's horrible. They're going to a new level. So they're doing a new form of stem cell engineering, which is raising big-time ethical questions. As biological research races forward, ethical quandaries are piling up. In a report published on Tuesday in the journal eLife, researcher at Harvard Medical School said it was time to ponder a startling new prospect, synthetic embryos. Synthetic embryos. I told you about this graphene. You see what they're trying to use it for, right? You got to pay attention. As biological research races forward, okay, in recent years, scientists have moved beyond. They've moved beyond in vitro fertilization. They are starting to assemble stem cells that can organize themselves into embryo-like structures. Soon, experts predict they will learn how to engineer these cells into new kinds of tissues and organs. See, that's what they're saying it's for, like for the liver transplant and the kidney and the pancreas and blah, 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 blah. But they're doing this other stuff on the side. So eventually they may take on features of a mature human being. Eventually they may take on features of a mature human being. In the report, John D. Ock and his colleagues explored the ethics of creating what they call synthetic human entities. This is in the New York Times, 321-217. I'm reading this actual article. This is real, people, okay? The ethics of what they are calling synthetic human entities with embryo-like features and sheets. They call them sheets with an F. S-H-E-E-F-S. A sheaf. For short. Synthetic human entities with embryo-like features. For now, the most advanced sheaths are very simple assemblies of cells, but in the future, they may develop into far more complex forms. The researcher says, such as beating human heart connected to a, rudimer- to a rudimentary brain. So once they have the heart with a rudimentary brain, and then they add the, they add the robotics, right, the android, humanoids, and they put the graphene on top, overstand. <laughs> okay? Such a sheaf might reveal important clues about how nerves control heartbeats. Scientists might be able to use other sheaths to test out drugs for diseases such as cancer, diabetes, whatever else it is sure to unnerve most of us. It is unnerving. Established guidelines for human embryo research are useless for deciding which sheaths will be, will be acceptable and which not, Dr. Ark argued. So which ones will be acceptable and which ones aren't? I mean, they're playing God. They're with a, you know, they're really just going for the whole shebang right here. Before scientists get too deeply into making sheaths, some rules must be put in place. Dr. Ock and his colleagues argued that for certain features be kept off limits. Scientists, for example, should never create a sheath that feels pain. <laughs> They should never create a sheath that feels pain. So how are they going to know it feels pain? They're going to do stuff on the brain? And if that part of the brain shows it felt pain? I mean, we're going to have to get a lot of input from a lot of quarters, Dr. Ock said in the interview. The problems are just too big. 
scientists began grappling with the ethics of lab-raised embryos for more than four decades ago. So this is just hitting the pages now. So Lord knows what they really already have created. You see, so they started on this four decades ago. In 1970s, the, physiolo- the physiologist Robert G. Edwards and his colleagues at the University of Cambridge, it's always these schools, right, Oxford, Harvard, Cambridge, um, announced that they have been able to, fer- to fertilize human eggs with sperm to keep them alive for two days in a Petri dish. During that time, the embryos each divided into 16 shell- cells. So he won the 2010 Nobel Prize for his research, which opened the door to in vitro fertilization. This discovery also made it possible to study the earliest moments of human development. So the governments around the world began deliberating how long research laboratories and fertility clinics should be allowed to let these embryos grow. So in 1979, they recommended that it should be cut off after 14 days. So the so-called 14-day rule came to be embraced not just by scientists in the United States, but in other countries as well. One attraction of the guideline was that it was easy to follow. At 14 days, a human embryo develops its first clear feature, overstand 14, okay, 007. A ridge of cells called the primitive streak, right, which marks the body's central axis. It is where the spine will later develop. So there are more important changes happening at the same time, although they're harder to see. The embryonic cells develop into three types, the germ layers. Each of those germ layers goes on to produce all the body's tissues and organs. So adherence to the 14-day rule led to tremendous advances. And so in 98, the scientists isolated stem cells from early embryos and eventually figured out to develop them into just about any tissue in the body from heart muscles to nerves. So in 2007, scientists figured out how to reprogram adult cells into embryo-like stem cells. They reprogrammed them, (laughs) like they're trying to reprogram us, okay, with the GMO foods and all that media crap that they're sending through the frequency. A discovery that one day may lead to personalized treatments for 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 degenerative diseases. So for decades, Scientists did not break the 14-day rule, um, but only because they didn't know how. So scientists could keep human embryos alive for just over a week, again, seven days, without freezing them. But last year, two teams of scientists determined how to grow human embryos for 13 days. And those advances hinted that they might be possible to allow scientists to track on a few more days by changing the 14-day rule to a 20-day rule. So they're arguing that their rules are based on the time since fertilization were useless for embryos that were not formed by fertilization. This is just, you know, so this is, this triggers communication by the cells and they organize themselves into arrangement found in early mouse embryos. They know what they're doing. Together, they're triggered by the communication of cells. It's like they're just really playing with nature And it's disgusting. So when these artificial embryos develop from embryonic stem cells, it may soon become possible to build them from reprogrammed adult human cells. No fertilization or ordinary embryonic development will be required to build the sheaf. 
No fertilization. That's why they want this whole gender neutral transgender. No fertilization needed. It's not needed. I mean, wow. Burn fire on this. On this whole thing that they're putting out. Because they put out only what they want you to know, but they don't put out the whole story. You know, and this is, you know, and then other countries are doing things like, you know, this as well with less boundaries. Because they're not even telling the people what they're doing. So you have to send a frequency. You have to pray so that this is not uplifted and become more than what it needs to be. That they become, you know, confused within their own delusion of grandeur. And they're not able to make what they are trying to do and what they're trying to put forth. You know? We have to say burn fire on that. And mercy, please. On that note, I'm going to play um, Zana Romeo. Mercy, please. Days in the eyes of a promised place Balance and order, folk, clear all your wicked ways Focus on your dreams, move without no delay Brighter days in the eyes of a promised place Balance and order, folk, clear all your wicked ways Focus on your dreams, move without no delay I am see now. Oh, for them disrespectful people, where I breathe now. Bum to them, teach them, tell me how them are going to feel now. For the things that you are see now. Oh, for them disrespectful people, where I breathe now. Shot to them, teach them, tell me how them are going to feel now. Them lock up the gun, jam on them, never lock up the pedophile. Lock 
take me outside, sit in the green garden, nobody out there, but it's okay now, bathing the sunlight, don't mind if rain falls, take me outside, sit in the green garden. a butterfly hides a tree tall down again putting my bag down taking my shoes off walking the carpet a green velvet to the green garden and to the herbs as we move forward into herbnology and look at how we can heal our inner organic being with the nature of the Most High. So I just found out that anyone whose hair is falling out needs to make this two-ingredient drink immediately. 
So the drink is made from stinging nettle. Stinging, stinging nettle for hormonal imbalance. And so it's due to um, the genetic predispos- predisposition of not getting enough sleep, eating right, exercising regularly, and all of that will help to restore your body's natural chemicals to normal levels. So a lot of us are walking around with hormonal imbalance because we're not eating you know, correctly, exercising, doing all those things I just mentioned. So stinging nettle is shown to moderate your hormones. And so this prickly plant um, is beneficial for anemia, cough, as a diuretic, if you're retaining fluids. It's good for eczema. You can, um, you know, boil it in some oil. Enlarge prostate, gout. The big reason I'm talking about it tonight is hair growth. Um, Lowers the blood pressure and supports heart health. It lowers the blood sugar. It helps with muscle and joint pain, osteoarthritis, and rheumatoid arthritis. So, I mean, it's great for the hair as well, but these other things are wonderful. Um, it also is good for, pre- for um, pregnancy and breastfeeding support, seasonal allergies, and urinary tract infection. And so what it does, like I said before, is that it balances your hormones naturally. And so all you need for the drink, and it also helps to stimulate lactation, so, if, you know, it's good for when you're um, breastfeeding. And so you'll need one quart of water and a half a cup of dry stinging nettle leaves. The fresher, the better. That's it. One quart of water to a half a cup of dry stinging nettle leaves. So you boil the water. You place the, le- the um, nettle leaves in a glass bottle or jar. You pour the boarding water over the leaves. Screw the lid tightly and allow it to steep for four to ten hours at room temperature. And then drink the tea throughout the day. It's delicious hot or cold or at room temperature. You can add a little honey for sweetness or coconut milk for a richer drink. And you can make a few days worth at once. And storing unused tea in the refrigerator is good for up to three days. Okay? So that's one quart of water to a half a cup of dry stinging nettle leaves. It'll help all of those things as well as hair growth. And another forgotten treasure is dandelion, you know. And dandelion is, I use it um, specifically because I have fibromyalgia and it helps with the inflammation and retaining water. It's an excellent diuretic. And so some of the benefits is that it also lowers the sugar and fat and the blood pressure in the blood itself. It helps with coughing and other respiratory difficulties. It improves the kidneys. You know, it helps with allergies and skin problems such as warts, acne, psoriasis, and eczema. It stimulates the liver and the bile, and it relieves digestive upset and facilitates the digestion of fatty foods. So that's very important. You know, it facilitates the digestion of the fatty foods. And so um, you can just, all you need to do is just put the root in a blender and make juice. And you can add a little honey and an apple and a carrot, juice from the dandelion root. You can make a tea from the dried dandelion leaves as well. You know, so you could, you know, you could just juice it or you can make a tea out of it. And you get those wonderful benefits. And especially for the liver, you know, people take um, aspirin and Tylenol and Excedrin and leave and they really should be taking white willow bark. That's what aspirin is actually made from, white willow bark, what it was originally based upon. 
And so these are the top 12 liver cleansing foods. With all these medications, they all affect the liver. So the top 12 liver cleansing superfoods is garlic, grapefruit, beetroots, lemons, green tea, avocados, turmeric, apples, walnuts, broccoli, tomatoes, and cabbage. I'm going to say those again because the liver is very important. The liver is so important in our body. And, you know, um, a healthy liver regulates the, composi- the, the whole composition of the blood. The liver regulates the composition of the blood, and it removes harmful toxins from the blood, as well as processed and converts the nutrients absorbed by the intestines during digestion into forms that the body can use. So the liver also stores the vitamins, iron, and simple sugar glucose. So it's very important to keep that liver together because that's the filter for the toxins, and it's regulating the blood, the whole composition of the blood. So, again, that's garlic, grapefruit, beetroots, lemon, green tea, avocados. Um, you, you can eat one to two avocados per week for a couple of months to help rev- to help reverse the liver damage. Turmeric, you can put that in your food. You know, apples, you know, apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? And then walnuts, broccoli, tomatoes, and cabbage. Those are the 12 liver, liver cleansing foods. And um, also, you know, back to the root of the matter, talking about ginger root. If you eat ginger for a whole month, um, this is what's going to happen. It's going to help the digestion. It's going to kill nausea. You'll have complete up to 25%. Let me not say complete. The study showed 25% reduced muscle aches. And that's a big percentage if you're dealing with pain. You know, 25% reduced is a big amount that you could do naturally. You know, it relieves inflammation. You have less chance for heart problems, less bad cholesterol. It um, greatly reduces your body to be able to accept cancer and for cancer to breed in it. And it helps your brain work better. Ginger is good for the brain. So please include ginger in your life regularly. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphysics of the moment. This is um, Dawn Tillman, God.
Yes, yes, that was Twin by Christian Scott Atunde Adwa. Twin, as we form together the matter with the antimatter, right? Sift through the pieces of the cycle and understand. So as we move forward into the metaphysics of the moment, I mentioned earlier um, that these specific scriptures had held, the ones mentioned in Zechariah, held the seven spirits, which are the eyes of the Lord. And they represent the seven lamps or lampstands of fire. And it's spoken of by the prophet Zechariah. So I turned to the metaphysical Bible dictionary and looked up the metaphysical meaning of Zechariah. And so Zechariah is whom Jehovah has remembered. Jehovah has remembered whom Jah calls to mind, right? The mind, whom Jah calls to mind. Memorial of Jah, memory of Jehovah. The Lord is remembered. Okay? The name of 28 Israelites, Second Chronicles 24.20 and 26.5, Ezra 8.16, and so forth. Zechariah and Zacharias are one and the same. The names mean the same thing. So Zechariah means Jehovah has penetrated. It has the same energy set forth because of the mind is mentioned again. So Jehovah has penetrated. Jah is mindful. Jehovah has remembered, concentrating on Jehovah. Overstand the mind. Memory of Jah. Jah is renowned. Praise the Lord. Son of Baruchai, a righteous man whom Jesus accused the Jewish people of having slain in Matthew 23:35. Zechariah is the same name. So the metaphysical significance is the same as Zacharias and Zechariah. Spiritual consciousness. Jehovah has penetrated. Jehovah has remembered. Concentrating on Jehovah. Memory of Jah. Jah is renowned. The entrance of spiritual thought into man's consciousness, again with the sevens. The entrance of spiritual thought into man's consciousness and lifting up of spiritual understanding. And the metaphysical meaning of spiritual in different formations. So spiritual cosmology is a spiritual interpretation of the creation of the universe. All right, spiritual discernment is intuitive knowing of that which is true of God or spirit. Spiritual healer, one who helps man reform so that bodily healing follows a natural consequence. And what we are pushing forward as well, and what I'm trying to push forward with this knowledge of the seven, overstand, sister and brethren, the spiritual quickening, making active the spiritual quickening, Okay, that's why I stimulate with the music, the spiritual quickening, making active according to spiritual standards by being linked to the activity of God mind. The activity, okay, making active according to spiritual standards, being linked with the activity of God mind. That's the spiritual quickening and spirituality. The consciousness that relates man directly to his father God. It is quickened and grows through prayer. Okay? From thought and worship. And the metaphysical meaning of thought. 
okay? Thought is, is, it's the process in the mind by which substance is acted upon. Again, the quick thing, acted upon by energy, directed by intelligence. Thought is the movement of ideas in mind. Thought control is established by aligning the thoughts with the mind of Christ, bringing every thought into a harmonious relation to eternal, unchangeable principles. Overstand. Eternal, unchangeable principles, the laws, the universal laws, the seven spirits of the Most High. Eternal, unchangeable principles. And bringing every thought into harmonious relation to that. The healing balm for every inharmony in consciousness is understanding of the creative power of thought. And its relation to the God mind and to manifestation. Adverse conditions are built into mind and body by the law of mind action. The law of mind action. Again, going back to the principles, the law of mentalism, overstand, the law of mind action, ignorant thinking forms, the substance of mind-body into inharmonious states. So the ignorant thinking brings forth an inharmonious state. And the metaphysical meaning of understanding, standing God is supreme knowing, supreme knowing. That in man which comprehends is understanding. It knows and comprehends in wisdom. That in man which comprehends is understanding. I say overstanding. (laughs) It knows and comprehends in wisdom. Its comparisons are not made in the realm of form, but in the realm of ideas. It knows how to accomplish things, right? We have to find our way. It's already in us. You have to look inside to find the way because it knows how to accomplish things. Spiritual discernment reveals that knowledge and intelligence are auxiliary to understanding. There are two ways of getting understanding. One is following the guidance of spirit that dwells within, and the other is to go blindly ahead and learn by hard experience. Intellectual understanding of truth is a tremendous step. Intellectual understanding of truth is a, is a tremendous step in advance of sense consciousness, and its possession brings a temptation, though for selfish ends, the wisdom and power thereby revealed. Right? So once you get that intellectual understanding of truth, that's when the temptation comes. Are you going to use it for selfish ends? Because the wisdom and the power is revealed through that. So spiritual understanding is the quickening of the spirit within. Spiritual understanding is the quickening of the spirit within. Spiritual understanding is the ability of the mind to apprehend and realize the laws. Overstand. The laws of thought. Okay? Mentalism, correspondence, vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect. Gender, okay? The laws of thought and the relation of ideas to one another. And the relation 
of the ideas to one another. So you have to put together the pieces. The secret is for the seeker. But it's within us to overcome. It's already programmed in the Akashic record. Dylan know that I am is in us. The I and the I, right? We have to look, we have we have to meditate and clear forth the path so that revelation can be made to one's mind's eye so that you can see the vision for yourself and then apply the action necessary. Once the vision becomes clear, get a pen and paper and mind map it. Work it out. Okay, pay attention to the cosmology, to the numbers of the days involved, with days of the week. Don't be afraid of knowledge. Get ready with it. Be steady with it. Let it hold you down and lift you up all at the same time. You know? So now we're going to take a music moment. But before I go into the music moment, I just wanted to say that next week on part three, I'm going to go into the gospel of the Essene and the sevenfold peace. And Jesus spoke specifically in the sevenfold peace about peace with the mind, peace with the brotherhood, peace with the body, peace with mankind, peace with the wisdom of the ages. See, that's the part right now. That's why, you know, I love the Gnostic Gospels because you have to be at peace with the wisdom of the ages. Search out wisdom, the earthly mother, peace with the kingdom of the heavenly father, you know. And there are other sevens mentioned as well within the various Gospels of the Essene and the books included. You know, it's, it's, we have to reappropriate what is already ours? It's been hidden. They call it a cult. They call it esoteric. A lot of it is natural law that they don't want us to know. So then we can't vibe on the frequencies that the planets set forth and the planets up in the sky by the most high. You have to pierce through the reality and over and overdo the illusions to ascend. But you have to prepare. Right? We're fires trapped in a volcano, and we have to learn how to erupt so we can bring forth the light, that burning fire in each of us, so we can manifest glory here on earth as vessels of the Most High, showing His will in our works. Let it be a guidepost of light within us that shines outward onto the hemisphere and connect with the ether. We're going to take a music moment, and here is now Rogers Overcome with Laura Mulvall. Don't reach the sky 
Support for this podcast comes from The Fresh Market, celebrating 35 years of fresh foods with in-store samplings and events throughout the month of April. Details at thefreshmarket.com.